I love singing about the return of the Lord. Um, that should be on our hearts and our minds every single day. And so we come here and we gather and we sing about the coming of Jesus. And that proclaims something. We're not just saying something that we believe, but we're proclaiming something in that. We're, when we say we're waiting on Jesus to come, we're, we can't wait to see him. We know he's coming back. There's things that we believe at the core when we say we're waiting on Jesus to come back. Uh, but we're going to read in Scripture here today, in James chapter 5, verse 7. We're starting in verse 7. And last week we read about James warning those people who were oppressing the poor. The rich were oppressing the poor. And we talked about those who own businesses. Um, if you own a business, treat your workers fairly and right. Because it represents God. It's a, it's, you were made in the image of God and we were supposed to reflect God's image. And so God is a just God. He, he loves justice. Uh, and so we should take care of those uh, who work for us. And also we should take care of those who are poor and have much need. We should take care of those people because it reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about how Jesus became poor that we may become rich. So... This idea of the gospel being proclaimed by taking care of those who have need, and taking care of those who are poor, and taking care of the orphans and the widows. It's right there in the scripture, and James talks about it. And today he's going to talk about being patient. Be patient and wait on the Lord, because he is coming. So let's read James chapter 5. I feel like I might be a little hot. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land? Can I get turned down a little bit? See how the farmer waits for the land? To yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn, and spring rains, you too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, because, brothers, because you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered you have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In verse 12 it says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Let's pray. God, we trust your word is true. God, we trust that all it takes is your word and your spirit to make us more like your son and conform us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. So God, we ask that you would do that, that you would, by your word and your spirit, make us more like Jesus Christ, your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So here is... The core 
idea of what James is writing about here in this passage. Be patient in your suffering as you wait on Jesus to come back. Be patient in your suffering as you wait for Jesus to come back. That is the core of this passage. Be patient. Now, I have to be patient in a lot of ways. Just in the past two months, I've had to deal with insurance, a car broke down on the side of the road, um, and then my truck uh, having to go through GM and replace my engine. So the past two months, I've had to have a lot of patience with people. I've had to learn patience in a different way. And then also having uh, a newborn waking up in the middle of the night and having less sleep, those who know what that's like, um, and then having to be patient still and love people. Uh, so patience is something that we, we as people understand because, you know, we're, we're human and things come up in life and we've got to learn to wait. But this kind of waiting that James is talking about isn't like a waiting, like in the McDonald line, you know, waiting for your burger. It's not that, okay? Which I have a story about that too this week, but it took 30 minutes. It took 30 minutes for me to get my wrap. I love McDonald's. I know some people are like, ugh, but I love the wraps there, and I waited 30 minutes, and I was just like, look, I got a jet. <laughs> I got to make money, so um, I can't wait here any longer, but... But he's not talking about that, necessarily. It's a different kind of patience. It's long-suffering. It's in the midst of hardship. It's in the midst of things where most people would give up. Stand firm. Be patient. Have long-suffering. Stand in the midst of your trial and in the midst of your suffering. And wait on the Lord, for he will bring a great reward to those who will wait on him. Do you believe that, church? That those who wait on the Lord and his coming are those who will be saved and glorified with Jesus? I believe it because it's right there in the scripture. So, to wait on Jesus, what at the core do you have to believe to wait on Jesus to come back? What at the core of your faith do you have to, to, to believe every single day when you wake up that Jesus may come back and you are waiting? That is your hope. That is your satisfaction. That is what you long for is to see Jesus. What do you have to believe at the core of that? At the core, you have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You have to believe that we have a living Redeemer. We have a living Savior. We have a living King who reigns and is sovereign. At the core, you have to believe that Jesus, God in the flesh, came down to earth, lived among us without sin so that He would be a perfect sacrifice. He had to be mocked, beaten, scorched. And ultimately hung on a cross to die in place of us and our sin and the wrath of God for us. And then he rose from the dead, conquering death and sin 
so that we may have life instead of death. That we may have His righteousness instead of our unrighteousness. That we may have mercy instead of wrath. At the core, to believe that Jesus is coming back, you have to believe the gospel itself. You have to wake up reminding yourself of the gospel every single day, preaching it to yourself, having other people who are believers preaching it to you. Because we forget that Jesus is coming. And we start to live as if we want to be here on earth forever. And this is not reality. Reality is one day we will be eternally somewhere. And Jesus is going to come back and He is going to judge and He is going to bring salvation. There will be judgment. So if we believe the good news of Jesus Christ, that He is our risen King, then and only then can we have such faith faith that we wait on the Lord in the midst of suffering and in the midst of ease and gladness. That's the kind of faith that we must have, that we wake up every day longing for the king to return. So what is the purpose of Jesus coming back? Like, why? Why does he have to come back? What's the purpose of it? There is a purpose. Let's go to Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. Just turn, turn backwards. It's right behind James. Hebrews 9, verse 24. This is what it says. Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Wow. A mediator, right? Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And He will appear a second time, not to bring sin, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. So do you hear that last piece of the Scripture? So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin. He's already done that. He's already bore all of our sin, past, present, future. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Do you hear that last line? For those, who is it for? It's for those who are waiting for him. That's very important. So you see the purpose of the second coming. It's not to bear sin. His purpose is to bring judgment and bring salvation. 
Sin has, has already been paid for. The question is whether you put your faith in Jesus or not. And if you have not, he will bring judgment. And for those who have placed their faith in him and are waiting on him, he will bring salvation to those. So who will he bring salvation to? To those who wait on him. We must have faith and trust Christ in a way that makes us eager for him to come. Do we have that kind of faith? Do you think about the Lord's coming? Does it ever cross your mind? Because if we read the scripture and we believe that the Lord Jesus is coming back, that should be our heart. That should be our desire, is the Lord's coming. So to be eager for him to come back is a sign of faith. It's a sign of true faith that we love him genuinely. Some people don't want Christ to come back. In their heart of hearts, they don't want Christ to come back because they want this world and the enjoyment of the things in it. They want it to last for them. True faith is someone who really clings to Christ in this world, for He is our treasure. He is our hope. He is our portion. He is our joy. He is life itself. And the kind of faith that makes us long for Jesus to come back is the real faith. We should long for Christ and his return. So let's turn back to James. And we're going to see James give three examples. Three examples of what it looks like to be patient for the Lord's coming. So he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So there's the example. Like a farmer who waits for the harvest, be patient. Okay, this idea of a farmer, I've kind of got a glimpse of it just because of my dad. Okay, I'm not saying my dad's a farmer. He's a millwright. But my dad plants a garden every year as long as I could remember. Okay? And I know the hard work that it takes to plant a garden. But my dad, he's really good at, at using things like that. He even has uh, muscadine vines and things like that. So he'd come out and he'd show me Okay, you see how this vine is and this branch is? And he'd, he'd tell me about the John uh, 15 passage, about how we are the branches. And Jesus is the vine, and God is the vine dresser. And he would do the same thing with the garden. He would teach me about how the Lord, when you cultivate and you, and you take time to work the soil and get it ready and plant, then you have to be patient and wait for the Lord to do what he does, and that's send the rain. And so, he would teach me through that, but I get that glimpse of what he's talking about when he says, see how the farmer, he waits? He waits for the, for the rain to come? You see, that's one thing you can't control, is the weather. If anybody who has a job that depends on the weather, 
you kind of understand that even more. You know, I, I cut grass. So if it rains too much, I lose money. I don't cut grass that week. And if it doesn't rain for a month, then I won't be cutting grass the next month. And I understand that I can't control the weather. And I used to get really mad. Like, ah, why can't you just let it rain? I need to cut grass. Um, but the same with the farmer. You know, Mr. Joe, if it rains, you know, you don't have business that week. If it rains all week. People who do jobs that depend on the weather understand that they have to be patient and wait. Wait for the rain to stop. Well, with a farmer, he has to wait for the rain to come. And in the autumn, in the spring. See, because if the, if the rain doesn't come in the spring, your crops won't mature. It won't mature. And then when, when the winds come and things like that, it won't be able to handle those things. So the crop needs rain. And the crop needs sun, but it needs the right amount. And it, from the day you plant until the day you harvest, you have to patiently just wait. When, you, when you're a farmer, you spend more time patiently waiting and watching your crop grow than actually har- harvesting and cultivating the land. You spend way more time waiting and just watching Now, that doesn't mean that as we wait on the Lord, we just sit around and we watch. Because we know that the farmer has to work. He has to cultivate the land. He has to pick out the weeds. But we know that there's there's nothing that grows fast but a weed. And that doesn't bring any harvest for us. And so we're waiting for the harvest. The next, the next one is the prophet. Let's see what he says about the prophet. He says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. So we see here, like a prophet who speaks truth in the midst of suffering, be patient. So God would tell these prophets, hey, look, tell them about the judgment that's coming. Let them know. Speak the truth to them. The same way we should be patiently waiting on the Lord to come as we are in suffering and as we are in persecution. So how do we wait on the Lord patiently in the midst of suffering? Like the prophet in the midst of persecution and injustices, we should speak truth boldly. And we should speak out against injustice. In times of suffering, it could be some of the greatest opportunities to speak about the greatness of God and the glory of God and the truth of God. When you're in the midst of suffering and you speak truth to people, they hear you a lot louder. Because they see the detail of your life where you should be giving giving up and where most people in the world would be giving up, you stand firm and you wait patiently for the Lord. So just as the prophet does that, as he speaks truth in the midst of suffering and persecution, we should be patient in our suffering and speaking truth in the midst of our sufferings. Okay? And then like Job, we've got to put Job in there, right? We kind of talked a a little bit about Job last week. But like Job... 
He's hoping in God's purposes. Let's read what it says. It says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have been perse- persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So we've heard of the endurance of Job, and we've seen the outcome. That's what James says. If you read all of Job, you have to wait all the way to the end to see the outcome. But the majority of Job is about Job's suffering and going through a lot of junk and a lot of mess and his friends and his family, even his own wife. He had to go through all that mess. But at the end, we see the outcome. It took enduring through a lot of suffering for a long period of time for Job to see the Lord is compassionate and full of mercy. The Lord is compassionate and full of mercy. Let's go to Job 42, 1 through 6 and read what was Job's conclusion. Job 42. Job 42, 1 through 6. So, the Lord just basically questioned Job about a lot of things that he has no control over. He says, you know, who, who built this? Who built that? Who put the world on nothing? Who hangs the world on nothing? Who makes the lion roar? Who makes the thunder Storms. Who does all those things? Were you there when that happened? Uh, because Job questioned them. And then this is what Job's answer is after all that went down. It says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, Who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. And this is what Job said. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So do you see Job's response? Job says, my ears have heard about you, but now that I've gone through all of this, My eyes have seen you. I have truly experienced you to the fullest. And I know that you are full of compassion and mercy. So in between the end of these examples and at the end of these examples, James gives commands to the church. What does he say? He says, don't grumble against one another. The judge is at the door. When we get into hardship and persecution, and problems. See, he's talking to a church who's scattered. When we get into problems, one of the first things we start to do is grumble with one another. We start to complain. We start to get at each other's throats because things aren't going the way they should. And he says, don't grumble against one another. The judge is at the door. This word grumble means complain, speaking negativity to one another. 
He commands us not to do that because there's judgment. And at the end of the passage, he says, Above all, do not swear by anything or anyone. Just simply do as you say, and you will, and you will not lie. So when you say something, that you're going to do something, and you don't do it, that's lying. So you shouldn't have to swear because your word should be true when you say you're going to do something. I mean, we know as humans, we say we're going to do something and we can forget about it or we can just not feel like doing it. And so we say, I'll do it tomorrow. Even though I told them I was going to do it today, I'm going to do it tomorrow. We do that, right? But this is what he says. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? It's very simple. Don't lie. Do not lie to one another. Hold up your words. Be a trustworthy, faithful person. Why do that? Because we serve a trustworthy, faithful God. When God says something, He does it. When God says He's going to do something, He fulfills His promises. And when we say something, we, don't, we shouldn't have to swear to make our words more upright and make our words more trustworthy. We shouldn't have to swear by anything. We should, when we say something, somebody knows, hey, look, Joe is going to do that. Because why? Because he's done it in the past. When he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it because he's trustworthy. He's a faithful person. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do something. That reflects God. That gives glory to God. So children in here, those parents that you have, sometimes you can really despise them and not like them because they're telling you things to do. But it glorifies God when you do what they say. But it also glorifies God when you say you're going to do something and then you actually do it. Same with us as adults. In business and in everyday life with families, when we say we're going to do something, just simply say yes or no. And may your words be trustworthy and true and faithful because it glorifies God. It's that simple. So with all that said, I want to encourage you by reading one other scripture and then we'll wrap it up. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. And here it's going to talk about Jesus coming back and how he's going to come back and how we should be ready for his coming. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith 
and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing so. So what is the scripture saying? It's saying the Lord is coming back. Don't be like those who aren't waiting on the Lord, who aren't ready for the Lord to come back, who aren't ready for Jesus to come back. Because you are people of the day. You are people who are sober-minded, who know the truth that Jesus will come back. And our hope is in Christ. Our hope is one day he will return and that we will have salvation in him. And I pray that encourages you this morning as we live everyday life, that when we wake up in the morning, that we remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he's alive and that he is coming back. And one day, he will make all things right and bring all things to restoration. As we look at Nepal and we see the, the devastation, we look at other people's lives and you see the devastation, our hope and our reminder in the gospel is that Jesus will come back and he will restore all things to himself. That's hope. That one day we don't have to live here in this anymore, this broken world, that we will one day stand before our maker and we will stand before our king and our judge and he will call us righteous because of the cross and the resurrection and he will make all things right and bring all things to himself. Let's pray.